Hey everyone, welcome to episode 162, Triggers. Meet our mom, Kelly Hutchison. She is a life coach. She is a child counselor. She is a teacher. She's a parent coach. And she's a mom to us. She will teach you to stop yelling at your kids. She will teach you to get your kids to listen. She will teach you how to never sleep with mommy guilt again. She will teach you how to be an imperfect mom. So you can help your kids be imperfect too. And have harmony in the home. So I have to kind of apologize starting off that we have gone 162 episodes and I'm just now talking about triggers. Because when you think about your triggers, they're different for everybody. And that's why you know that it's an inside job to control your side of the street. And then you kind of figure out where is all this yelling coming from? Or where is all this snappiness or all this aggression or all this terseness? Because I talked to so many parents, moms and dads, and even grandparents that they envisioned themselves acting a certain way as a parent. And then they became a parent and they're acting a cray cray. Now, I've talked about my story over and over and over, and I never want to make this podcast about me. Sometimes you guys can all relate with my story, so that's why I repeat it. But also, even though the pieces of my story are different, like you might not have struggled with infertility, maybe you weren't a teacher before, obviously you didn't have the same parents I had, and so we all come from different backgrounds and different experiences and different levels of stress and trauma and pain. We're all different ages. We're all different stages. We're all, we all come from so many different experiences. So I want this podcast and I've said this a billion times and I hope that comes through that I want it to be plug and play that even though the experiences that I've had are different than yours, or even though the ones that I share of other moms and dads that I've been working with are different than yours, you can still plug and play in your own life of how it applies to you. So one thing about triggers is they're different for everybody. So that's why you know there's something behind the trigger that has nothing to do with the child. Now, we know this because if it was your niece or nephew, if you were a teacher, if you were a counselor, if you were at a, working at it as a camp counselor, if you're watching your neighbor's kids, and they could do the same exact thing that whatever that thing is, whether it's lying, whether it's disrespect, whether it's not cleaning up after themselves, whether it's yelling, whether they're bickering, whether they're on phone too much, whether they're not picking up to picking up after themselves when they're at your house or they're arguing with each other or they seem distracted. We don't ever come to that said child with a level of yelling or aggression or snappiness or just overall attitude because there's no story behind it. There's no dynamite behind it. So I want you to think about triggers. And this was a really good visual for me. I'm a very visual person, so hopefully you are too. That when you have a good visual to understand your triggers and what's behind the snappiness or aggression or yelling or overall terseness, then you can have a little bit more grace and compassion for yourself to see what's behind that. Because whenever you're yelling, it's really not about the yelling. It's not about the child. It's not about what happened. So something happens and then you explode, like the bomb is detonated, like you don't even understand where it's coming from. And post meltdown, you will have that kind of shame spiral that all of us have, where we're like, I don't even know what happened. I just saw red. 
I don't even know who that person is. I feel so ashamed. I feel so guilty. All of that happens afterwards. And that's the time where you get super curious. See, consciousness starts when it happens after. That's what the way it starts. Then you'll catch yourself during. You're like, whoa, 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 what's going on here? And then you'll catch yourself before. And the goal is to catch yourself before. And sometimes if they're older, you can kind of say like, hey, I feel a, a dynamite's about to explode. Not like it's their fault, but kind of like, okay, I might be projecting, inner child is coming out. Like sometimes it's just an inner dialogue that you say to yourself. If they're older, you can kind of joke around about it. Like the other day, Lily was wanting to pack and she's wanted, she wanted to pack the night before we were leaving for a trip. And then she's like, you know what? I'm going to pack in the morning. I'm like, okay, controlling Kelly wants to come out control. I want to control all of your things. I want you to pack tonight, but you want to pack tomorrow. So I'm just going to, and so I was kind of joking around about how controlling I just, I said, I want to control your every move. Can I just please control you? Like you were three years old. I started like pretend shaking her. And she's like, no, you cannot control me. I'm like, but I, my ego is screaming right now that I want you to pack tonight. So we're not going to be late tomorrow. And so we're kind of having fun with it versus me flipping out. You're going to pack tonight, control, 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 and control always comes from fear. So when we're aware of it, we can kind of have fun with it and not be so mad at it. So when you think about your triggers, almost like you've seen those on cartoons where they have the dynamite plunger and then it's those long strings and then there's a cluster of five to 10 dynamite sticks. And as soon as you push down that plunger, kapow goes the explosion. So think about your triggers like that. Whenever you have an explosion, know that there's a line or a string, so to speak, coming from your action and what's underneath it. And when you can get to what's underneath it, then you can actually diffuse your bombs, for lack of better words. Not that you're a bomb, but we don't blame our children for setting off the bombs and blaming them for our reaction. So then when they're in the romantic relationships later on and they get yelled at and screamed at and they say, well, it's your fault. The reason why I'm yelling and screaming is because you wore that dress or because the dinner was cold and it will feel very familiar to them. If we are blaming them for our reaction, that sounds crazy when we say it out loud, but we all do that. If our children would just do X, Y, Z, then we wouldn't have to explode like we are. What happens is the child is looking up at them saying, well, I don't really know how to change this, but we've gotten in this pattern, so to speak, where I don't listen to anything you say until you start screaming and then I start listening. So what we're doing is we're actually training our child not to listen until we yell. So then when they grow up, they will either become the yeller or be okay with being yelled at. That is a huge motivation for so many of the moms and dads that I work with is that we talk about the blueprint. We want to set up the blueprint for love that yelling isn't part of love. And love isn't in the scheme of things unless the house is on fire. But if we're yelling and yelling and yelling, and then we get compliance, then they just realize, okay, I only need to start listening and complying when mom or dad yell. And when we say they're not listening, what we really want to say is they're not complying because they obviously don't have a hearing problem. It's a compliance problem. And a lot of times when there's lots of yelling, we break connection when, they're, when there's a lot of yelling. So when there's not connection, they kind of give us the emotional middle finger. Like, you're not on my side. I'm not going to listen to what you say I'm going to do. I might comply just to keep you quiet, 
but I'm not doing this out of love and because we're on the same team and out of connection. They're doing it out of obligation. And our job is to raise humans that are grown and flown and launched and they know how to do the things independently of someone screaming down their neck or breathing down their neck. And we give all the emotional responsibility to our child. Like they, we actually give them the dynamite plunger and they say, here, here's the dynamite. You need to act in a certain way. And then if you act in a certain way, the dynamite will never go off. Well, then the dynamite goes off. It's the child's fault for our behavior. It's kind of like me robbing a bank and then blaming the bank that I don't have money. Well, if I would just had more money for my job, then I wouldn't have to rob the bank. Now, that is an extreme example. But when we think about our dynamite plunger, giving it to a five-year-old, that is a recipe for disaster because it's like giving our five-year-old a Sharpie marker and saying, don't write on the walls when you're running through the house. They're not going to write on the walls on purpose, but they're just going to be a kid and they're just going to do what they're going to do. So I was thinking about this podcast and Lily was screaming. She likes to scream scream sing in the car and she was singing a song from Taylor Swift. It was called Invisible String and it was a really cool song about how her current boyfriend, how there was this invisible string playing behind the scenes the whole time while they were dating other people, living their life until they finally met. And they realized that there were so many similarities and so many missed opportunities where they might've gone to the same coffee shop. They were at similar events at the same time and they didn't even know it, but the string, this invisible string of God, the universe, and just all the forces in the world had this invisible string pulling them together slowly, but surely they didn't even know it. So it's this time, mystical time, cutting me open, then healing me fine. Were there clues I didn't see? And isn't it just so pretty to think that all along there was some invisible string tying you to me? Now, I'm not going to sing it because I can't sing like Taylor Swift. And so when we think about our triggers as having nothing to do with our child, then we can kind of have control and not have the child in charge of our dynamite plunger. But we can learn how to detonate over time of awareness of our triggers and why we are so snappy yelling. And it usually has something to do with something in the past. Like if we're not being listened to. So when was a time that we weren't listened to? Or if they take something from the gas station, oh my goodness, they're going to be like Winona Ryder. Your brain will go to worst case scenario and that's completely normal. And you can kind of just laugh at it. Kind of like when Lily wasn't playing with anyone when she was two years old. And I said in my brain, which I didn't even know that was unconsciously, I said, she's never going to go to prom. She's never going to have any friends. And your child's job isn't to complete your childhood. Your child's job isn't to replicate your childhood. Your child's job is not to heal your childhood. Your child's job is not to be the child that you couldn't be. So like if you felt like an outcast and didn't have a lot of friends and that was a painful part of your childhood. When you see your child not playing at Chuck E. Cheese, we, it's not our job to overcompensate so they have a gabillion friends. And this can show up with sports. This can, can show up in their social circles. This can show up with their grades that we either want them to replicate our childhood, fill the holes of our childhood, or heal our childhood by making us feel in ways that we didn't get to feel when we were younger. So when we didn't have, if we didn't have connection with our caregivers, then we are going to desperately and needily, we, we might come across as needy and graspy with our kids because we are so desperate for that parent-child relationship and that connection that we come off cross as very needy and clingy and fill me up, fill me up, fill me up, Veronica, fill me up, fill me up, fill me up. 
And they can't, they can't do that. We've said that a million times. It's not their job and they can't do that even if they wanted to. So when your child is doing something and you're reacting in a way that doesn't match with the infraction, so to speak, then you just get super curious. Like, hey, what's going on for you? It might be during, it might be after, it might be while you're driving in the car, falling asleep. And I've told before that if you looked at my strings when I was getting snappy, when I was getting controlling, when I was getting bossy Betty, it was because I had an underlying belief that I didn't even know was there with so much sticks of dynamite through the infertility years of six years of trying and surgeries and miscarriages, there was an underlying sentiment that I was telling myself and I didn't even know, you're not meant to be a mom. How fun is that to parent from that place? And I felt very unworthy and very insignificant and not good enough. So then when my kids would yell and scream or they would argue or they wouldn't share or they were talking back or they were being disrespectful with how they were taking care of their things, it was just a reminder of that voice and it got louder. So the sticks of dynamite, because of my infertility, were probably 15 to 20 sticks of dynamite. So whenever they were doing X, Y, Z that didn't match my agenda, then I would flip out. And then I would blame my kids for having the dynamite plunger. And I would say to myself, sometimes to them, if they wouldn't push down my buttons and push down the plunger, then I wouldn't, I wouldn't explode like this. They were the reason why I was detonating. I've talked a lot about before, because I was a teacher and a counselor, I saw a lot of severe behavior issues. So unconsciously, maybe five or 10 sticks of dynamite when my kids were two or three doing a behavior that was like not sharing a very normal behavior, I would turn into a crazy lady because I would think, oh, you cannot stress out your first grade teacher. You will not be going, you will not be stressing out that counselor. They're going to have a family meeting because you're not good enough, Kelly. You weren't meant to be a mom. See how that was all playing in the background. And I've also talked about how I wanted to be just like my mom. And I just wanted to be just like my dad and have the same exact relationship that I have with them now. So when my kids were two or three and they're, let's say, back talking or crying, crying was really hard for me. The louder they cried, the more unworthy I felt. I made their crying mean something about me and my worthiness. I know it sounds crazy to say out loud, but that's what we do unconsciously. The more unworthy I felt, the more I looked for evidence of how unworthy I was. And I used my kids as a pawn and as a measuring stick for how unworthy I was, I looked for more evidence of it. So then my reaction became louder, the more unworthy I felt. And it had nothing to do with my kids because underlying all of it, maybe that was five or six dynamites, five, five pieces of dynamite that I wasn't good enough. I wasn't meant to be a mom. And then when they would cry or act out or not share, then kapoom, I would flip out. And I wasn't diffusing anything because I was, it was all about me and my ego and my fear of not being good enough. And that underlying message of you're not meant to be a mom. You're just meant to be a teacher and a counselor. So the more unworthy that we feel, the bigger our reaction is. The more we want to be just like someone or the more we want to be just not like someone, the more we're probably going to act out because that's dynamites attached to it. But what happens over time is when you become aware of this, then you can be, be kind of onto yourself. And over time, you can actually unwind those strings and unlink them so there's nothing attached to the dynamite. 
it might still be there, but I always use the example of like when I was pregnant for some reason, because we put two embryos in, I thought I should just eat lots of Reese's peanut butter cups because there was two per package. So every time I went to the grocery store, every time I got gas, I always got Reese's peanut butter cups. It was like two to three times a week because I was eating for two, actually eating for three before we knew we only had the singleton. So I thought it was so cute. We put in two embryos. So I'm going to have Reese's cups because there's two in there. And so doing that for nine, 10 months, you get kind of addicted to it. You become, I became a creature of habit where I would just grab the Reese's peanut butter cup every time I was at Publix or the gas station. Rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. Nine months. That's how habits are created. 10 months. Because they say you're pregnant for nine months, but it's 40 weeks. So in my book, four goes into 40, 10 times. So I was pregnant for 10 months. So for 10 months straight, I would get Reese's peanut butter cups. So then when I, when I had the babies, when I had Lil, when I had Grady, then all of a sudden I would go to the gas station, go to Publix, and I would automatically go to grab the Reese's peanut butter cup out of habit. I was unconscious. Your brain wants to like, it's okay to live unconsciously. It's not a bad thing because you don't always want to be thinking about like how to tie your shoes and how to drive a car. It all comes so natural and you become on autopilot because the brain doesn't want to work that hard and it's not supposed to. It needs to like reserve its energy for the bigger things. And so this is completely normal to live part of your life unconsciously and you're going to parent unconsciously too. But when you want to change it to consciously is when you don't like your side of the street, when there's clutter, when there's debris, when you don't like the way that you're showing up because you don't want to create that blueprint for your kids to act in that certain way. Now, this doesn't mean that if your kids are name calling or if they're sneaking things or they're arguing or they're talking back, it doesn't mean you just let it go and do nothing. But your reaction will come from a place that you're parenting like your niece and nephew, like you're parenting a student in your classroom or your neighbor's kids when you th- or you're parenting Lily and Grady. You'll parent from a more loving place and a place of compassion and empathy And you can still change the behavior, but you're just doing it from a place that's not filled with so much anger and vitriol because the anger and the vitriol have nothing to do with the child. It has to do with the dynamite behind the strings, behind your reaction. If it doesn't match the crime, so to speak, then you just get super curious and realize, huh, I wonder what these dynamite sticks are all about because I don't really think it has to do with my child taking gum from the gas station when she's three years old. What kind of story am I telling myself? What's going on for me? That's where you get super curious and that's where you fill in the blanks. And that's where over time, like when I was post-pregnancy, I would go to grab the Reese's cup. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm not doing that anymore. Oh yeah, I'm not doing it anymore. Oh yeah, I'm not doing that anymore. And then I would go to do it and I would keep reminding myself, oh yeah, we're not doing that anymore. And then I would eventually get to the point where it didn't even cross my mind because I said, oh yeah, we're not doing that anymore for so many times that I don't even think about it when I go to the gas station. I might kind of look at the Reese's peanut butter cup and I might tell the story to my kids like, oh my goodness, you probably remember what those taste like because I had them every day while I was pregnant practically. And so it's a funny story, but that's the same thing with yelling. You will go to do it and it'll be so habitual and so done unconsciously that you'll just remind your unconscious part of the brain like, oh yeah, we're not doing that anymore. Oh yeah, we're not doing that anymore until you get to a point where you're not doing anymore and it actually doesn't even dawn on you as a strategy to change their behavior because they know you know that your reaction has nothing to do with their side of the street and everything to do with our side of the street because we come with all the baggage. We come with all the Samsonite luggage. Not that something's wrong with us, but we've just lived more of a life that we have more history. We have more baggage. We have more things that have gone off. We've had more pain. We've had more trauma. We've had more disappointment than our kids have at two years old. When we're 30, 40, we've had 40 years of experience of lots of pain, lots of heartache, lots of being vulnerable and being 
just shot down like a dove. And that hurts. That stinks. So then when we think our kids are doing it, that's where the reaction comes from. It has nothing to do with our kids, but more about our triggers. And over time, we will learn how to become the diffuser of our triggers and not give our kids the hand plunger to detonate them over and over and over and then blame them for our side of the street. I love you guys and I'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Hey mamas, thanks for listening. If you had any ahas, clicks, or those lightning bolt moments while listening, you have to check out my free parenting bootcamp where we take all of this to the next level and we try to create even more awakenings for ourselves so that we can connect more with our kids and never yell at them again. You can sign up at www.coachingkelly.com. And if you really wanna fill up my love cup, send me an email of what your aha was, what your click was, what was that lightning bolt moment while you were listening? I want nothing more in life than for you to have harmony in your home and to learn how to be an imperfect mom like me, which allows your kids to be imperfect too, each and every day. Thanks for listening.